This is the podcast for RUF at App State. Everyone is welcome and no one is unexpected. For more information, visit us at appstate.ruf.org. Welcome to RUF. I'm really glad that each one of you is here tonight. And this is a place this is a place for you to grow in your faith as a Christian. But equally, if you're here and you would say that you're not a Christian, this is a place for you because we're all here to, with, with honesty, we hope, explore the claims of Christianity together. This whole semester, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. These ten central commands or laws given in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, which Christians believe is the authoritative message from God to us. We're looking at these central commands that God gives to his people as ways of responding to his love, ways of living the way that we're meant to live. And because God has given these to us, if he is good, then they are good and they're paths into thriving life. And because Jesus came to perfectly obey these when we cannot, these are portraits of his beauty and invitations for us to follow him into thriving life. So let's read. This is the sixth of the Ten Commandments. Exodus twenty thirteen: you shall not murder. It's a comedian named Brian Regan, and he's a good bit. You gotta love good bits. It's a bit about... Pop-Tarts and how seemingly absurd it is that there are instructions on the back of Pop-Tart packages that tell you how you should microwave or toast a Pop-Tart. Step one, open the package. Step two, microwave the Pop-Tart for three seconds. And the people at Pop-Tart, those powers over there, they felt the need to print these instructions when it would seem to be obvious how you should eat Pop-Tarts. But they feel the need to include the info, even when we look at those instructions and think, that is the most obvious thing in the world. Is that just a waste of print? I think we might feel similarly, similarly about the sixth commandment, feeling like, is this just the most obvious commandment in the world? Do not murder. The fourth commandment, which we looked at, is interesting to take one day out of the week and rest from all your work on that day. And the fifth commandment, which is honor your mother and your father or honor authorities, is controversial. But this one, the sixth one, might just slip right past us. Do not murder people. Don't kill people. Got it. Moving on. We all know that, right? Virtually every society has some kind of law that stops people from just killing whenever they want to. So is this just a waste of print? Well, let's consider this question. Is this commandment as obvious as we think it is? Is it as obvious as we think it is? And when we dig into the depths of this commandment, we find that it is far more challenging and far more beautiful than we knew. It's far more challenging because this commandment that we are the least likely to say that we are guilty of breaking applies to all of us. And we all have broken it. And it's far more beautiful because it's not just about not taking life. It's about protecting life. It's about promoting life. It's about being pro-life in the most full way that far exceeds any current political cultural debate. But as we move ahead 
if we're going to crack this open in any kind of meaningful way, it means addressing some very sensitive subjects. And my intention is 0% to be provocative or to cause pain. But we need to honestly and deeply consider what the Bible is teaching us if we want to consider what Christianity is. And so here is what this commandment tells us. Is that God is the God of life, and so we are to be people of life. God is the God of life, and so we are to be people of life. And I want to help us understand what this means by looking at three things. We're going to look at gift, theft, and protect. Gift, theft, and protect. So first, let's look at this commandment in light of gift. So the commandment itself, you can see it's very short. I mean, in the original language, which is Hebrew, it's just two words, not murder or not kill. Well, which is it? Do not kill or do not murder. The word that's used here, it covers acts of premeditated killing. It's a cold-blooded murder, but it also covers acts of negligence that leads to death, like drunk driving. A summary of what the commandment means then is unjust or wrongful taking of life. Unjust taking of life. And you might imagine this commandment applies to issues like self-defense and war. Is it ever justified to kill in those kinds of settings? And I'm not going to address those questions, though they are really important. Instead, I want to start by asking this seemingly basic question. Why is it wrong to murder? Why is it wrong? Because it's bad? Because it's wrong? Well, why is it bad? Why is it wrong? Is it bad because society won't work if we just act out the purge and we kill whenever we want to? But what if you could come up with a logical reason why your society would be better off if certain people were killed? Would it still be wrong then? And what if the whole society agreed on that? Would it still be wrong? Well, and also, what counts as murder? Is it murder to cut down a tree when it's a living thing? Is it murder to kill a cow and eat a hamburger? And a cow is not only alive, but it feels. And this has led, say, modern thinkers to argue that what makes life worth protecting is what we call sentience or feeling. But if that's your standard for what makes life worth protecting, what kind of life should not be taken, that would seem to imply that the life of a cow is more valuable than the life of someone, say, in a coma. Well, if you are uncomfortable with that kind of judgment, it should lead you to ask, well, then what is our standard for why we should say that murder is wrong or why we should protect life? From the Bible's perspective, the the foundation of this commandment is this. That God has given life. Life is a gift. And so you shall not murder. All of life is given by God and it's worthy of some kind of honor. You shouldn't just mow down a forest for no reason. And cows and other animals, whatever side you come down on, on vegetarianism or not, they should be treated with proper care. But human life is to be treated with a special kind of dignity and honor because the Bible teaches that people are made in what it calls the image of God. And to be made in the image of God means that you're made for a special relationship with God. You're made with a specific responsibility to him and you're made to reflect him into the world. The image is a gift and it sets human life apart from every other kind of life. And so it's a weighty and it's a horrible thing to unjustly take human life. 
I'm very fortunate and I have an office in my house that I really like. It's got a desk and it's got a chair. It's nice. I really like it. So if you came into my office and you just started, you flipped over my desk, I would be upset. And if you hang time dunked on my bookshelves and Home Alone style brought all of them down and all the books crashing down, I would get salty. But there's more in my office than just these kinds of things. There are family heirlooms. And so if you came into my office and you ripped up the old family Bible or you stole my grandfather's war medals, I would be more than upset. I would be horribly grieved because those things are precious to me. Murder is grievous to God because it is taking images away from him. God has gifted his image to people, and anyone with that image is to be given a special kind of respect and care because of the God who demands it and has put that image on people. And that means that all human life is valuable no matter what people can do, no matter whether they can do certain things. When you look at another person, you're looking at someone with an immeasurable gift stamped onto her soul. And that's true whether she's a celebrity or a 95-year-old with dementia. And when you look at yourself, you are looking at, at someone with an immeasurable gift stamped onto your soul. This is true whether we're looking at someone within our family or tribe or whether we're looking at someone with a different skin color or a different language far across the world. And it's true about us Regardless of our gifts or our personality, it's true because it's a gift. My life is valuable regardless of what I can do or who I am. And self-care, this means in a way that pleases or honors God, is not about treating yourself or loving yourself. It's about loving the God who made you and living with gratitude because he stamped his image onto your soul. Murder is wrong because life is a gift. And so we are to be people of life by treating our neighbors and treating ourselves with the right kind of dignity because life is a gift. So second, first, life is a gift. Second, let's look at theft. Murder is theft. It's stealing for ourselves what belongs to God alone. When you take a life, you're taking what belongs to God. And you're also taking what belongs to God alone, which is the authority to judge life and death and to judge the worthiness of a life. We have no right to take a human life. And the implication is also we have no right to physically harm other people. And this shows us why violence or assault is wrong. It's wrong because... To assault someone is to assault the image. That's why it's wrong. And then another implication is that we have no right to harm ourselves. And we have no right to take our own lives. And this is something that has to be spoken of with the greatest care. Self-harm and suicide. Christians have not always spoken carefully about this. What deserves to be treated with the greatest Care And treating it with the greatest care may just start with humility of recognizing that the reasons why someone may struggle with thoughts of self-harm or suicidal ideation are various. And there is no simplistic answer about how to care for someone with that experience. We should be weightily concerned, very concerned about anyone who would be experiencing desire for self-harm, not simply because uh, we have no right to steal what belongs to God, but because God so intensely values lives with his image stamped onto them. 
And people who suffer with a compulsion, any kind of compulsion towards self-harm, should be treated with the greatest and most loving of care. But all I've said so far is limited, limiting the commandment to acts of violence. But what Jesus does is he takes our understanding of this commandment and he blows it up. You can look there in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. He says, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So for Jesus, murder is not just taking someone's life. It's, it's more than that. The heart of murder is assault on the image of God. It is theft because God alone has the authority to judge the value or worthiness of a life. And so unrestrained or harmful words are from God's perspective, murderous. To hold anger in your heart towards someone made in the image of God is, is equal to murder at the heart level. To attack the dignity of, of a person with your words is from God's perspective, murder. And this is a huge blow to the pride of anyone who would look at this commandment and say, I'm innocent. I have obeyed this because none of us have. We have broken this in our hearts and with our words. There's a story in the Old Testament book, 2 Samuel, where David, who is king, he has this man in his army killed. He has this man, he essentially has this man murdered. He takes away his life because he wants that man's wife. And then God sends a prophet to confront David with the reality of what he has done. And here's what happens. You read there. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and he said to him, he told him this story. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and, and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And this lamb was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. David is furious and disgusted at this story of this rich man who takes away what's so precious to the poor man, taking away this life. And David has no idea as the story is being told that it's about him because this is what he has done. He has taken away the life of this man and his army and taken away what is most precious to him. But even more than that, he has taken away what is so precious to God. And we are so like David. We hear stories of murder in the news or in, in shows that we watch, and we are rightly filled with horror and disgust. And all the while, totally blind, so often blind to the murder that lurks in our hearts. It shows itself in the comment sections of, of Twitter where people trash each other without a second thought. I mean, it shows itself in any society that would provide comfort through cheap goods, cheap things you can buy that come to us because of slave labor all the way across the world that shortens lifespans and even costs life that we're so often blind to. 
It shows itself society in a place like Denmark when that country celebrates the shrinking number of people in their country with Down syndrome. Without the recognition that the number is low because of prenatal testing, where people who discover that their child is going to be born with this disability, 95% of them choose to abort. And in an article that's reflecting what's happened in Denmark, where Down syndrome has essentially been aborted nearly out of existence, a writer for The Atlantic it comments on what this, this prenatal genetic testing has done. They write, suddenly a new power was thrust into the hands of ordinary people, the power to decide what kind of life is worth bringing into the world. This power, it's not only the stealing of, of a life, but it's also the stealing of the authority to judge what is worthy life and what is unworthy life. But as Jesus shows us, murder is not just out there, it's also in here. When we hold on to anger directed at another person, we harbor murder in our hearts. When we direct anger at ourselves and self-hatred, we assault the dignity that God has stamped onto us. When with our words we attack the value of another person, we, we harbor a heart of murder. We act out of a heart of murder. Someone just today texted me a video of a celebrity saying something that I didn't agree with. And without thinking, without even just thinking about why I disagree with this image bearer and then praying for that person, I immediately texted back to my friend, he has lost his mind. And just threw that out there into the void and to my friend. Constantly, murder is lurking in my, heart, in my heart, ready to assault those who are made in God's image. And it's theft. So that's the second thing. Life is a gift, and so we are to treat life as a gift, as people of life. And because God is the God of life, we are not to steal. And instead, let's go to the third thing, we are to protect. What's phrased negatively here, it's a, very, it's a negatively phrased command, you shall not murder. It's equally true in the positive sense. We shall not murder, and we shall promote and protect life. For example, in the Old Testament book, here's what this looked like played out in application. You look there in the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites received this law. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof. That you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. So parapet is a protective wall around a roof that protects people from falling off of your roof and so losing their lives. And so God took the time to directly command his people to build a protection to preserve life. And so that life would not be unnecessarily lost. And what this reflects is that the sixth commandment is not just about murder, it's about life. It's about protecting, protecting and, and advocating for life, preserving it. And so being pro-life in the fullest sense means protecting the life that we see all around us and the people around us because God has given it as a gift and it's worth protecting. And being pro-life in the greatest sense means following Jesus because he came to give life in the fullest he came as God taking on a human nature to conquer death and the power of death that has seeped into our hearts and then causes murderousness and all other kinds of evil. And he came into this world showing dignity and giving healing to lepers and giving mercy to murderers. 
And through his life and through his death and through his resurrection from the dead, he has brought about a new power of life that seeps into our hearts and then spreads out so that wherever that life is, it looks like him. It brings dignity. It forgives. It does not hate. It celebrates life. And whoever belongs to him, they spread that kind of life. And this reminds me, probably strangely, of the book Horton Hatches an Egg. And in this book, Maisie the bird, she leaves her egg with Horton the elephant, and she asks him to watch it for her, but she doesn't come back for so long. And no matter what happens, he continues to protect and watch and preserve this egg. Through storms, through the ridicule of his neighbors, even being exiled from his home, he will not get up off of the egg. And when they ask him why, he says, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. And when the egg hatches, what what happens? It's not just a bird. It's an elephant bird because this life that has been protected takes on the characteristic of the one who protected it and preserved it. Jesus's faithfulness to protect and promote our life, even at the cost of his own life, has given birth to a new power of life that resembles him. He is the God of life and all who belong to him will live and love in a way that looks like him. And the more and more we grow through this power of life and belonging to Jesus, the more we will love the way he loves, the more we will protect life the way he protects it and dignifies it. The more we will protect the physical safety of those around us. People of life, being a person of life, looks like putting your phone down while driving rather than texting. Not because that's just the good thing to do, but because whatever you were going to text, whatever I was going to text, it's not nearly as important as the, the hordes of image bearers that are all around me and need to be protected because that life is so precious. It looks like not just wanting to protect physical safety, but to protect our the lives of our neighbors by staying connected to one another, seeking to create a space where there can be honesty and safety regarding mental health and where there are thoughts that lead to self-harm and partnering, seeking to partner with, with churches and other organizations so the burden is not just ever on one person to care for someone with a compulsion towards self-harm. And for anyone here tonight who is having thoughts and experiences that would lead to self-harm, we want to know you because we value you and we want to help you to grow to see the dignity that you have. Or simply, we want to be in your life knowing that we don't have all the answers and we can't fix things, but we want to be in your life because your life is a gift. As we grow by the power of Jesus' life, we will more and more use our words not as instruments of, of death, but as instruments of life. And we're, we're called to promote a culture of celebrating life, especially the lives that the world does not see as valuable. I was talking with a, a pastor friend recently who told me that the best part of his week is every week when he gets to serve communion, which is it's called the Lord's Supper, bread and wine in a, a Christian worship service to a, an individual in his congregation who has Down syndrome. He said that's the best part of his week because of the joy he sees in this individual and also because this individual is is a gift people of life they protect and promote the flourishing of their own lives self-care and self-love is not enough because it lacks power what has the power to bring healing when you don't see your own worth it's beginning to see yourself the way god sees you and because jesus has come into the world god sees you in 
him, dead to sin and alive to him. You are so loved that he gave the greatest gift, Jesus' own life, so that you would no longer die ultimately, but that you would be made alive with him forever. In 1945, the U.S. Army, they they dropped an atomic bomb on the Japanese city of Hiroshima, and it created a wasteland of death where there were 100,000 or more people who died, and nothing could grow in that city decades after that. But apparently there were 170 trees that continued to grow after that. And there is a project called the Green Legacy Hiroshima. They send seedlings from those 170 trees that survived in this wasteland, and they send them all over the world to grow. Sending this message that from this, this place of absolute death, life continues and it spreads. And the message of Christianity is essentially that into the wasteland of death, Jesus came to bring life so that through us who receive it in him, receive that new power and new love, it would spread through you all over the world. And he calls us to entrust our lives to him to die and to be made alive by his love, to be people of life. Let me pray. God, thank you um, for the weighty message that is surprisingly in this commandment. Um, It's about so much more than not murdering, but it's about uh, promoting what is so precious to you. So I pray that we, uh, we would know that. We would know how precious we are to you in our own lives, and that we, receiving the life and the love that you have to give, we would become bearers of that message that spread glimpses of your life and your love wherever we go. And we ask it in your name. Amen.